Thanks, Nathan and Juliana. Appreciate that. And uh, I'd like to just add a couple of thank yous. I appreciate what Dan had said about Kara and her team and what they've done. But also, I'd like to express some thanks on our behalf for those who are responsible for the Christmas decoration that we've been enjoying around the church for the last number of weeks already. They certainly, um, well, it looks a lot like Christmas, and they they really spur us on in terms of our preparation and the celebration, prepare our hearts and minds, and we're thankful for that. So thank you. And then I'd also like to thank all those who participated in last Sunday's um, Christmas potluck. Um, boy, it was a great time around the lunch table, and there was an abundance of food. And uh, I sure appreciated that, and I want to say a thanks to Glory Morgan and her team for organizing and facilitate, facilitating that great uh, event last Sunday. As we make our way through this Christmas season, we are reminded once again of the birth of Jesus Christ. At least I hope we are. Um, there are certainly all kinds of distractions competing for our attention. There's party, there's presents, there's pressures. For some, this is the best of the best time of year. And for others, it's the most difficult season to survive. But regardless of where you are on the Christmas continuum, the Gospel according to John offers a life-changing encounter with the one who, according to the Christmas carol, came upon a midnight clear. The Apostle John, in John chapter 20, verse 31, discloses his motivation for writing this biographical account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And there are two reasons. One, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And secondly, that believing we might have life in his name. That's life as God intended it to be lived. It's not a problem-free life. It's not a life of the rich and famous. It's not even about living some kind of Canadian dream. But it's life in his name. A life that has been reconciled to God and with a promise of an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. That restored relationship with God, and along with the promise, enables us to live a life that will please him, and then to hang on through the tough times that are sure to come. Jesus himself admitted that in this world, or in this life, you will have trouble. John chapter 16 Verse 33. Oh, by the way, Merry Christmas. Last week we focused our attention on Jesus' interaction with an unnamed Samaritan woman, as reported in John chapter 4. Here we found more evidence supporting that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And verses 6 and 7 revealed Jesus' humanity. Remember Jesus sitting at a well in the Mediterranean midday heat, Hungry, thirsty, and absolutely spent. He's exhausted. You see, that's 
fully man. And then verses 17 and 18, Jesus displays his deity. Although never having met this woman prior to this occasion, he exposes her half-truth. You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. Jesus knew the intimate details of her life without ever having met her. Is he fully God? And then in verse 26, Jesus, in his own words, claimed to be God dressed in human flesh. I who speak to you am he. In other words, I am the Christ, the Son of God. Fully man, fully God. But in addition to all this evidence, Jesus of Jesus' true identity, we also discovered an example for you and I to follow. Jesus built a bridge over a long-standing wall of hatred that separated Jew from Samaritan. A bridge that allowed an unnamed, despised, immoral, marginalized Samaritan woman to cross over from death to life. And we learned that as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as his representatives, we can do the same by following his example. Take the initiative to express a need. Bait them by suggesting spiritual possibilities. Share the benefits and advantages of a God-empowered life. Test their integrity. Invite them to seek the life God intends. And then introduce them to Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. May God help us to be faithful in our proclamations of the God of the gospel, regardless of what kinds of walls we may encounter. Last week, as I studied and prepared for the message, I realized early on that there was no way that I would be able to do justice to Jesus' response recorded here in chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. So I shot the email, email off to my fellow elders and they affirmed the proposal to hit the pause button and so that we could focus this morning's message on John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, instead of moving on to the next episode. So last week it was proclamation. This week it's celebration. Who knows, maybe next week it will be demonstration. But you will remember that those three essential elements are God's vision for our church. Proclamation, demonstration, celebration. All three are absolutely essential if we want to be, and they need to be kept in balance, if we want to be a healthy and effective church. It's like a three-legged stool. Proclamation is sharing the gospel and teaching God's word. Demonstration is living in a way that increasingly displays the unique relationship that we enjoy with Jesus Christ. And celebration, or worship, we can use those terms synonymously, refers to expressions of gratitude, honor, respect. For who God is, and for what he's done, is doing, and will do. And we can even personalize it. Expressions of gratitude, honor, respect, 
for what God has done, is doing, will do in and through you and me, both individually and collectively. Remember the story in Luke chapter 17? Jesus heals ten lepers. Let's turn there for just a moment. Luke chapter 17. I'll begin reading at verse 15 of Luke chapter 17. And Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and he count, encounters these ten lepers and he sends them off to the priest to show themselves to the priest. And as they went, they were healed of their leprosy. Now look at verse 15. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? I don't know about you, but I cringe every time I read verse 17. And folks, I want you and I to be found with the one, with the one who returned to celebrate what God had done in his life. After all, this is a worship service. In fact, if you pull out that bulletin you received when you arrived this morning, it says in the front of our bulletin, worship service, 10.30 a.m. We gather Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, to worship. That makes you and I worshipers. Here in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, Jesus discloses the requirements for those who desire to be the kind of worshipers that God is seeking, true worshipers. And I want us to identify and understand those requirements and the implications that are to characterize true worshipers. There are three of them, but before we go there, let's read this passage of Scripture. So if you're able, I'd invite you to stand again with me for the reading of God's Word. I'll begin reading in John chapter 4 and verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? 
You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is your is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you you people say that Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You may be seated. Father, hear the words of the psalmist as we make them our prayer. Teach us your decrees, O Lord. We will keep them to the end. Give us understanding and we will obey your instructions. We will put them into practice with all our heart. Make us walk along the path of your commands, for that is where our happiness is found. Give us an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn our eyes from worthless things and give us a life through your word. Reassure us of your promise made to those who fear you. Help us abandon our shameful ways for your regulations are good. We long to obey your commandments. Renew our lives with your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen carefully as I read this simple explanation, the game of baseball. This is a game played by two teams, one out, the other in. The one that's in sends players out one at a time to see if they can get in before they get out. If they get out before they get in, they come in, but that doesn't count. If they get in before they get out, that 
it does count. When the ones out get three outs from the ones in before they get in without being out, the team that's out comes in and the team that goes out to get those in out before they get in without being out. When both teams have been in and out nine times, the game is over. The team with the most in without being out before coming in wins, unless the ones in are equal. In which case, the last ones in go out to get the ones in out before they get in without being out. The game will end when each team has the same number of ins out, but one team has more in without being out before coming in. Wow. That was even hard to read. And it's actually titled, A Simple Explanation of the Game of Baseball. That was the title of it. Thankfully, Jesus' explanation of worship is simpler and a whole lot easier to understand than this explanation of the game of baseball. But I do think there are times that we we don't really know what we think we know. Did you get that? Sometimes I we really don't know what we think we know. Today we're going to gain some clarity when it comes to this whole area of worship. And I'd like us to start with this fundamental truth, this fact, this reality. God is seeking true worshipers. Today, this very day. Look at verse 23 of John chapter 4. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Notice it's true worshipers. Not false worshipers or untrue worshipers, but true worshipers. The Greek word translated true means real, not imaginary. We could also use words like genuine or maybe even authentic. One of my colleagues that I worked with in, when we were living in Florida wore a Rolex watch to work every day. And for those who are not watch connoisseurs, you need to know that the average price of an entry-level Rolex watch comes in around $10,000. And this colleague of mine told me of a time when he was having trouble with his Rolex watch while he was on a business trip in New York City. And so he decided to stop by a jeweler to see if they could repair it. And sure enough, the sales representative was able to take it and and correct the problem while he waited. And before handing it back, the sales rep said to him, what a nice piece it was. And my buddy didn't have the heart to tell him 
that he had bought it, I think he said, for less than a hundred bucks on another trip to New York City. You see, it was a, a knockoff. But it was a good one. Good enough to fool a jeweler. Be careful. I fear the same could be said of some of our contemporary worship practices. But they look and feel and sound so good. But are they engaging true worshipers? The kind the Father is seeking. Be careful. The fact that Jesus needed to qualify the kind of worshipers that God is seeking should give us pause. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship. That cleansed leper in Luke chapter 17, he was a true worshiper. On the other hand, Good old President Trump has no patience with broadcasters of fake news. And neither does God when it comes to seeking worshipers. He's not interested in fake and imaginary worshipers. We learn from this passage, specifically verse 21, that insisting on a specific location, neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, Insisting on a specific location does not lead to true worship. And verse 22 indicates worshiping what we do not know does not lead to true worship. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Just means that God's plan of redemption for the world was going to come through the Jewish people. The Messiah would be, would be Jewish, born of the tribe of Judah. The Old Testament scriptures, God's special revelation of his person, his plans, and his purposes are rooted in Judaism. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it reads, What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? And the Apostle Paul responds, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. But again, that didn't make them true worshipers. Notice the next verse, John chapter 4, verse 23. It introduces a contrast with the word but. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is seeking true worshipers, even today. Now look at verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You may want to underline or circle that little word must. This isn't just a good idea. This isn't Jesus making a suggestion that we might want to consider. 
we, if we are to be true worshipers, there are qualifiers, obligations, duties, responsibilities that must be met. As I mentioned earlier, there are three of them. The first, true worshipers must be God-focused. Jesus told that Samaritan woman that a true worshiper will worship the Father. The Father must be the object of all of our worship. Jesus refers to the Father three times in this response. Once in verse 21, twice in verse 23. And this is how Jesus commonly refers to God. In chapter 2, verse 16, you'll remember, and those who were selling the doves, Jesus said, take these away, stop making my father's house, the temple, a place of business. Chapter 11, verse 41, so they removed the stone. Jesus then raised his eyes and said, Father, thank you that you have heard heard me. And Lazarus got up and walked out of the tomb. Chapter 12, verse 27 and 28, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. The scriptures present a triune God, three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Luke's account of Jesus' baptism in Luke chapter 3 reported the presence of all three persons in the Godhead. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus was commissioning his disciples to go and make new disciples, he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here in John chapter 4, when Jesus makes reference to the Father, we are absolutely correct in referring to him as God. True worshipers are to focus on God. He and he alone is the focal point of our expressions of worship. It is all directed toward him. It is all about him his person, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. We need to understand that God demands and delights in the worship of his people. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. And that chapter should be familiar. It's here that we find recorded the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 and beginning at verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Wow. That's pretty sobering. And then we 
find in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, something similar. For you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Then as we turn to the New Testament, we find Jesus responding to that question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? To which he responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost command. That sounds like a recipe for true worship to me. God demands and delights in the worship of his people. So as we show up here week after week, month after month, year after year, it cannot be about us. Not if we want to be true worshipers. This kind of worshiper God is seeking, it has to be about him. Someone in there said there are only two kinds of people in this world, givers and takers. When it comes to worship, we are here as givers, not takers. If you and I are coming for what we can get out of our worship service, if you're coming with wrong motives and misplaced expectations, you're not the kind of worshiper. God is seeking. This is not a stage for performers or entertainers, but for prompters and persuaders. Prompters who are prompting us to express our gratitude to God. Persuaders who are persuading us to live our lives according to God's word. The scriptures teach us it is more blessed to give than to receive. So you will be blessed if you come. But if that's your motivation for coming, that's not the kind of worship that produces true worshipers. Our individual and corporate expressions of worship, the words that we speak, the songs that we sing, our actions and our reactions must exalt God. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. God seeks true worshipers. True worshipers must be spirit-empowered. Jesus told that Samaritan woman that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. And that is not a reference to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is referring to that immaterial, non-physical part of us. Notice verse 24. God is spirit. In other words, God is not a physical being. Remember when Jesus appeared to his followers following the resurrection? Listen to Luke's report in chapter 24. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And Jesus said to them, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So here in John chapter 4, true worship originates from that part of us that is not flesh and bones. In other words, 
It's from the heart. The psalmist declares, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever. True worship is an expression of the heart. But we have a problem, don't we? Remember the end of John chapter 2? Last two verses. But Jesus on his his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. For he himself knew what was in man. And what was in man? Well, the answer to that question is found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Left to ourselves, you and I are incapable of responding appropriately to our Heavenly Father. We are spiritually dead. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, provides us with an autopsy report. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned. We not only won't accept them, according to that verse, but we cannot understand them. We are in desperate need of a spiritual heart transplant. And God speaks of that possibility through the prophet Ezekiel. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus back in John chapter 2? You must be born again, verse 7. And the Apostle John's testimony in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave you right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That spiritual rebirth provides us with new hearts. And again, true worship is not all about us. It's about him. Like the chorus of that song titled, The Heart of Worship. I think it makes the point well. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within Through the ways things appear, you are looking into my heart. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7? The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. The people the Father is seeking to be his worshipers are those who have 
new hearts. They have acknowledged and repented of their sin. They've asked God to forgive them on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. He died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us safely home to God. Titus 3.5 And thirdly, these people have committed themselves to living a life that will please Him. A life of obedience in keeping with His Word. When we do that, we're not only given a new heart, but the Scriptures inform us that the Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 reads, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God lives in you? God empowers us by His Spirit to become true worshipers. The true worshipers He is seeking. Of course, none of this is automatic. You and I have a responsibility of availing ourselves to that Spirit's work in our lives. For example, unconfessed or hidden sin undermines the Spirit's power in our life. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not looking for perfect worshipers, but true, genuine, authentic worshipers who've experienced His forgiveness and are empowered by the Spirit of God. The psalmist provides an appropriate pre-service prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. He continues on. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You'll not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Create in us clean hearts, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within us so that we can be the kind of worshipers that you're seeking. God is seeking true worshipers. God-focused worshipers, spirit-empowered worshipers, and true worshipers must be word-centered. Jesus told the Samaritan woman that true worshipers will be will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Pastor Eric Davis wrote this, Not once in the history of humanity has a person or people devised the correct way to worship the true God. Not once. That's why we need the Bible. Whenever man takes the self-determined approach to worshiping God, he makes an idol. Interesting. And yet Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed to be the truth. And then listen to this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews 
who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Not only did Jesus claim to be the truth, he claimed that his word was the truth. Turn to John chapter 17 for just a moment. You'll recognize this section of scripture. Jesus, of course, has just celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. They've left the upper room, gone out into the night, into the streets of Jerusalem. They're going to travel through. The, oh, and by the way, Judas has departed to go do make his arrangements for the betrayal. And so there's 11 with Jesus. They walk their way through the the crowded streets of Jerusalem. They're going to go outside of Jerusalem, down through the Kidron Valley, and up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he walks, Jesus begins to pray. Prays first for himself, and then for his disciples, and then for you and I, those who would believe as a result of the disciples' testimony. And notice verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. This book that you and I hold in our hands is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, insufficient, eternal, special revelation of God given to us so that we might be adequate, equipped for every good work. The kind of good work that we would call true worship. The kind of worship that God is seeking. Remember verse 22 of John chapter 4. You Samaritans... Worship what you do not know. So our worship will only be as true as it is informed by our knowledge of this book. God's truth. We need to stop looking to Nashville or to Hollywood. Stop trying to fabricate something that will draw a big crowd. We need to know our Bibles and our knowledge needs to be allowed to inform and shape our worship practices. True worship engages both our hearts and our heads, spirit and truth. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. This will be a final illustration, and it's a sobering one. Acts chapter 4, right at the end of the chapter... Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian, who birthed, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated, translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Notice the but, it's a contrast and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, 
he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? As a result of this lie, drop down to verse 5. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over him, over all who heard of it. And then about three hours later, his wife came in, told the same story. And she also was dropped dead and was buried. Make no mistake about it. God hates hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira's act of worship was fake, was imaginary. They were motivated by the recognition and approval that would come with a significant donation. And God put them to death. So when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to be seen, stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. If we insist on engaging in worship practices to be seen by others, win their approval, impress them, God finds our practices detestable. And I don't pretend to know your motives. In fact, there are times when I'm not entirely sure about my own. But once again, the truth provides a way to escape. For the Word of God is alive and active and powerful, is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. In other words, our motives. True worship is never about us. It's about Him. God is seeking true worshipers who are word-centered, God-focused, and spirit-empowered. Again, from the pen of Pastor Davis. Much of the Bible begins with God laying out what it means and does not mean to worship Him. One takeaway from Exodus and Leviticus, where those books lay out the law, is that, wow, and this is a quote, wow, this glorious God does not leave the details of worship up to us. End of quote. That's because one of the greatest problems with humanity is that depravity renders us unable and unwilling to worship him correctly. We have manufactured 10,000 ways of worship and every one of them is profane and idolatrous. And yet, God continues to seek true worshipers. True worshipers who will worship God-focused, spirit-empowered, word-centered. Pray with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Worthy are you, 
our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Father, enable us to be like those ancient shepherds and the wise men from the East who responded to that first Christmas by coming and worshiping the newborn King, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But not just for this season, enable us to become true worshipers week after week, month after month, year after year. The kind of people who are who you are seeking to be your worshipers. Enable us both individually and collectively as a local assembly of believers to be those kinds of people. By your, by your power and for your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.